right, and welcome to this special edition episode of the Assembly Call, brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel. I'm your host, Jared Morris, and tonight we have a very special guest with us, or today, depending on when you listen to this. He is my go-to source for NBA draft coverage and in-depth scouting reports on NBA prospects, emphasis on in-depth, because this man writes very in-depth reports on the prospects. He is a senior writer for The Athletic, the host of the Game Theory Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It is the great Sam Bassini. Sam, welcome back to the Assembly Call, man. Great to have you. Oh, my goodness. I get a standing ovation and everything. Just unbelievable. A standing ovation. Oh, man. I'm so glad to be here. It's so good. It's good to have you, man. It's, uh, I saw right before we went live, you were uh, tweeting some, uh, some funny college basketball videos. We got Mike Bray's comments. We got Matthew Mayer talking about his caffeine-induced euphoria that he likes to play video games with. What is going on with this college basketball season? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been a ridiculous college basketball season to begin with. Uh, this year has just been so absurd and like tragic in many ways as well. We shouldn't underscore that. But yeah. just in terms of everything that has occurred throughout this season from now Matthew Mayer, you know, drinking six monsters and completely like having his body shut down on him uh, because he wanted to play video games and a caffeine induced euphoria uh to mike bray going to shut down linebackers i mean it's just beautiful college basketball is a beautiful sport it is it is and it's march so it just gets more beautiful now um all right so look obviously the main topics of conversation with you here are indiana's two nba draft prospects jalen huchafino and trace jackson davis and i want to get your in-depth scouting reports on both of those guys before we jump into that though i'm kind of hoping you can provide some important context on how NBA teams view college players. Because I often see, you know, IU fans and college basketball fans in general make comments like, well, you know, he's inconsistent with such and such skill. And so he should return to college to develop it as if a player needs to be a finished product before he enters the NBA, which isn't at all how NBA teams actually view this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So let's Talk about Jalen Hood Shafino because that's obviously the best place to start because arguably there has been no greater variance between any player in college basketball from Jalen Hood Shafino's great games like against Purdue to his terrible games like against Iowa. Like we literally got it in a five day span, right? (laughs) Uh, Jalen Hood Shafino is one of the players that teams are really struggling with in order to figure out what exactly he can bring to the table next year but it all comes down to a skill perspective right nobody thinks Jalen Hood Shafino is never going to shoot right we have enough evidence that Jalen Hood Shafino is probably going to shoot at some point he already has shown enough development in terms of his ability to get into the mid-range be an incredible scorer out of pick and roll settings not really out of isolation settings, but if he gets a mismatch, he can try and take advantage of it. But the way that he has very comfortable mechanics shooting in the mid range, potentially even realigning himself in midair. That's the thing he does. That's most impressive to me. Like he will plant left foot in front, rise up and just turn his body in midair, get his elbow aligned to the rim, get his balance, his body uh, in perfect symmetry with the basket, despite not starting that way when he decided to rise up. That's the sign of someone that I think has real potential to be able to maybe be a real secondary scorer at the NBA level. 
obviously he is playing a lot of point guard for Indiana because Xavier Johnson missed a lot of time, right? Yeah. And continues to do so. So you can try and figure out, is he maybe a little bit overtaxed right now in terms of what his role is? Would it look a little bit better if he was defending point guards at the point of attack and got to share the point guard load a little bit more often than he does? Could that lead to him getting maybe easier matchups? Because now we're at the point where he is consistently getting the most difficult perimeter matchup from opposing teams every single night. It's tricky. It's all very tricky. And to answer your question in terms of all of this is teams aren't drafting for what a guy can be or can be next season. They're drafting for what he's going to be in three years, four years. Really, that's the window. You need to know within three or four years, if the guy is going to be good. That's not to say that Jalen Huchfino will be a finished product in four years. It's to say that teams need to be able to see signs that he can be an effective player by that point. Mm -hmm. And while Jalen Huchfino certainly has flaws, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, from turnovers to shooting from distance, confidence shooting from distance, everything like that. He is someone that has shown enough at this point to where I think teams, teams rightfully have a lot of confidence that within the next few years, at the very least, he's going to be an impact player. Where are you, where are you slotting him currently in your mock drafts and where, where are you kind of feeling that the range is right now, generally with teams you talk to? Yeah, I would say he ends up somewhere in the top 25 at this point. Like that feels conservative while acknowledging that the pre-draft process gets a little bit crazy. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not impossible. He could go near the end of the lottery, but I would say that somewhere in that first round, likely in the back half of the first round, is where I feel most confident saying it. Now, I'm a little bit higher on him personally. I really do buy the skill set. I have him more toward the upper end of that group, having him at number 16 as I pull it up on my board right now. So I really tend to buy into him because I tend to buy into two-way players who are good on both ends of the court, who show real ball skills, passing skills, potential to shoot it, those are just the kind of guys that NBA teams really look for, especially when they come in a package of a player who is six foot five to six foot six with real physical strength, not necessarily like super explosiveness athletically or anything, but enough of a frame to where he's going to be switchable defensively and be able to be a versatile chess piece for you uh, on both ends of the court. What are the biggest question marks about him that jump off when you watch him? Yeah, so three of them I I would point to. Let's just start with the shooting right now. He is an inconsistent shooter from distance, Mm -hmm. I would say. I know that the percentages currently say he's shooting 36% from three. I don't really love the shot right now from three. I think he's a great mid-range shooter, and I think there is real upside moving forward. I don't love the shot from three right now because I think that his shot prep uh, in terms of his base is a little bit off right now. I think that when he catches... Throughout his career, the first goal has been to drive. The first goal has been to attack because that's what he's always been. I think that that's really fixable. And I think that he displays good enough touch to where over the next two years or so, I would expect him to be a pretty solid three-point shooter from distance. But that is the easiest one to kind kind of try and break down. The second Mm -hmm. one would be the turnovers. He is someone that in general can get a little bit 
I don't even want to say questionable, like uh, the decision-making can get a little bit off from time to time. And again, this could come down to a teenager playing point guard in the big 10 in an exceptionally difficult league, but he does turn the ball over a lot. And in part it comes on handle concerns, just in terms of the ball getting a little bit away from his body when he gets into traffic and also being aggressive as a passer, being just really, really aggressive as a passer and, and throwing the ball around a little bit. Right. Just looking through the, you know, the scouting notes that I have here in terms of the turnovers, uh, you know, has a really solid feel for the game, but he can just be really inaccurate as a passer, uh, throws some wild ones, and they're born out of aggressiveness more than anything uh, is what I have here. He'll throw some balls at people's feet. He'll miss time lobs, even ones that like Trace Jackson Davis catches. It feels like they're off in terms of timing a lot of the time, right? <laughs> So he has real vision and like he can throw left-handed skip passes, right-handed skip passes, live dribble passes at a really high level. I just think, again, he's really young in his development. And it's going to take a little bit of time. The third thing, and this is the thing that I think is probably least fixable for him uh, long-term. He just does not pressure the basket, really. He is a two-level scorer as opposed to the three-level scorer that you often hear talked about, right? Uh, he is a guy that has potential to shoot from three and certainly is already a real mid-range scorer. But if you look at his rim attempt numbers this season, they just he just rarely gets there, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the half court. He's just not really able to get all the way there. He's not all that explosive of an athlete is really why that ends up happening, in my opinion. You can also chalk this up a bit to, you know, some spacing stuff. Indiana certainly is not a three-point happy team. Looking at Ken Palm right now, they're 354th in three-point attempts, uh, three-point attempt rate this season. So you can say that maybe as he gets into more space, he has a chance to put more pressure on the rim. But I just haven't seen a lot of that this year from him, uh, really. He's a lot happier getting to that push shot pulling up in the mid-range. I would be surprised if he ends up being uh, a high-level pressure on the rim, pressure on the paint guard. So we got a couple questions um, from folks in our community that I wanted to ask you. Uh, Jeremy wants to know, what part of his game do you think has had the biggest impact on increasing his draft stock? Like, what have you seen from him this year as a freshman that has you know made his stock go up? And also, you know, how do you and how do NBA scouts view his develop his development in relation to the IU staff and Mike Woodson? Like, do you think there are things they're doing to put him in a good position, in a bad position? How do you think that's gone generally, just from what you can tell from, from watching the games? So the, the thing that I would point to in terms of why his stock has risen throughout the year, and this is a guy, to be honest, that I had as a first round pick coming into the year. So I, I really quite liked him. And I thought that being like, a, I tend to really like these guys that are six foot five point guards that show real ball skills, real passing ability, uh, and at least show the semblance of a jump shot and defensive ability because it's just kind of hard to fail. Those guys, it's hard to fail when you have all those skills. And the thing that has helped him is that he is as well-rounded as he is. Like, it's not necessarily that he is elite at anything, although he is, he's pretty close as an on-ball defender. I think he's a really great on-ball point-of-attack defender who can really switch one through three and do a lot of effective things. 
But it's that versatility. NBA teams, what they try to find around stars in today's league, they want to find the players that will take the least off of the court around them. They take the least skill sets off. So someone, think about Austin Reeves for the Lakers, right? Austin Reeves doesn't have the biggest bag in the world. He's not the best shooter in the world. He's not the best defender in the world. But he does all of those things at a manageable level by NBA standards. And because of that, he is an impactful role player for the Lakers that oftentimes has been their third best player this season. And if you look at the lineup data, when he plays with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, it really helps the Lakers because, again, he doesn't take anything off of the court through his sheer presence. So that's what I really see from Jalen Huchifino as much as anything. I think long-term he's going to be one of those guys that doesn't take anything off of the court. In terms of the second part of that question with Mike Woodson, Mm -hmm. I like that Mike has generally just kind of let him rock for the most part after Xavier Johnson went out. Like he's let him go through the problems, right? Like he's gone through the roller coaster. There have been ups, there have been downs. I think that giving him that confidence, giving him that, that, that real degree of just belief that if I screw up, I'm not coming out. You know what I mean? Like there are freshmen and there are coaches in the big 10, right? Where the, the hook comes quick. And the fact that Mike Woodson has not done that, I think is, is really beneficial to his long-term development. Now, I don't really think this, you can put this at the feet of the coaching staff. You can put this at the feet of the last coaching staff. You can put this in a number of different ways, but this is a team that does not have much space offensively on the court, right? Uh, In general, I wish that this team could shoot better. I would be really interested to see Jalen Hood-Shafino surrounded by like real gunners from three. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, Obviously, like Tamar Bates is shooting 40%. Miller Cop is shooting a billion percent from three. <laughs> but like, you know, Race Thompson is not really knocking down shots. Trace Jackson Davis is not really a high-level shooter, right? There's always at least two guys, it feels like, on the court around Jalen, who himself is not like a real gunner from three at this point, that don't space the floor for him. And I would be really interested to see him in that kind of setting. I'm not going to sit here and say that that's the coaching staff's fault, though. I think the coaching staff has done a terrific job with Jalen Shafino this year, and I think they've done a great job in general in Indiana. Yeah. Do you think that'll be something they can point to on the recruiting trail? Right. I mean, you know, when you look at you know kind of the freedom he's given Jalen, the freedom to play through mistakes, and that role, clearly that's something they're going to sell to other high level guys to get them in. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a great recruiting sales pitch. I mean, this is why coaches tend not to mind when, you know, guys go one and done, right. Even though they lose them for the year, it tends to be a situation where they can sell that on the recruiting trail. So no, I, I, you know, completely agree with you on that. This is something they will be able to sell the the confidence as well. Like seriously, the fact that they're letting Jalen Huchifino just go and figure it out on the fly for a good team led by a potential first team all American and trace Jackson Davis trace is obviously the most important player, but Jalen is very clearly number two. And they're just saying, look, you can go, we're going to give you a chance here to 
run with this. And while there have been ups and downs, he has been able to run with it. And I think that the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for that. All right. So let's talk about Trace. Where where are you with him right now? And, and kind of what is your scouting report in terms of the biggest pluses and minuses with his game as it projects to the NBA? <laughs> I guess I ride the roller coaster with Trace as an NBA <laughs> player. I really do. Like, there are times where I just buy it. Like, I'll just be real with it. Like, I just buy it. I, I buy that guy being as strong as he is, being as physical as, as he is, being a great rebounder, having real ball skills, having the ability to pass and make plays, being able to put the ball on the ground in short roll settings, uh, being as impactful as he has been in dribble handoff settings. All of these things are very translatable. I also generally really like the fact that he is a vertical athlete. Uh, I think that one thing that gets really underrated with him is he has real pop vertically off the ground. He gets off the ground quickly and he gets off the ground faster than opposing players recognize. I think that sometimes he occasionally misses like weak side rotations and some is like a little bit late from time to time but he'll make up for it with how quickly he gets off the ground and how quickly he is able to recover in those settings. Right. Uh, defensively, I think he is someone that I've again, ridden the roller coaster a little bit with, especially for his NBA translation, just because I worry about what it looks like out in space, right. Against Mm -hmm. the best guards that the NBA is going to offer. There's a chance he ends up being just kind of a tweener, right? Like he's six foot nine, maybe not mobile enough to guard the best guards in the league. Like one name I've gotten a little bit about Trace Jackson Davis is like Jared Vanderbilt, right? But mm-hmm. the difference between Jared Vanderbilt and Trace Jackson Davis is that Jared can go out and like guard on the perimeter and guard at the point of attack. I don't really see Trace Jackson Davis being able to do that at the NBA level. I see him as more of really like an undersized five. And if you're going to be that, I think he's really going to have to shoot it. Like, I think that's what the swing skill is for him. If he can figure out how to step out and shoot from three, I think it's going to be huge for him. I think it's going to be absolutely enormous for him. I have trace as a top 50 player in this class. I have him ahead of guys like drew Timmy. I have him ahead of guys like Oscar Shibwe, Armando Baycott, um, I have him like right in the range of Zach Eady. I have him ahead of, you know, Deron Holmes, Oso Iguodaro, you know, Mo Gay at Washington State, like Adem Bona at UCLA. Like I have him ahead of those guys. But I, I do think that he's somewhere in that like morass between two-way player and guaranteed contract guy. And when that tends to happen, I think that the more likely outcome does tend to be that he's more of a two-way guy. Um, but this class, once you get into that 35 to 45 range where there are still something like 10 guaranteed contracts left, it is difficult to find guys that are better than Trace, basically. Is there a precedent for you know a player who was a three- or four-year college player who was a non-shooter? I mean, it's not that Trace has been a bad shooter in college. Yeah. He's just a non-shooter. He doesn't even take them. Um, you know, and he's okay as a free throw shooter and he's improved some around 70%, but is there a precedent for someone that just isn't a shooter going to the NBA and over a few years developing into someone who can adequately step out and make those? Yeah, like, I mean, Brooke Lopez did a couple of years in college and never took threes, but like... 
I don't really have the precedent either as part of the problem that that's, yeah. that's why I'm riding the roller coaster with trace. Like, yeah, I love the game. I, I love his ability. I love his toughness. I love his strength. Like he is physically just a beast on the block and defensively and rebounds. Like I, I love a lot of what he brings to the table. It's just that I am really struggling to find the guy that matches this. And if I can't find the guy that matches this, there tends to be a reason for that, unfortunately. And it's again, why I, I feel like trace, like, whereas like Jalen Huchifino, I will have him as a top 22 guy. I, I don't see my, I don't see his grade changing trace. I don't know where he's going to fall. I, I, like I said, I keep going back and forth on it and he's been there for five years now. And I just don't even know. Like, I, I don't, I don't know where I fall on it because I want to personally buy into it working, but I think like in my heart of hearts and like maybe my heart says that I want this to work, but my head is like, it's saying, you know, there's nobody like this in the NBA. There's nobody that like really fits this archetype. Like, why, why, why would this be different? You know? Yeah. How would you compare Trace to guys like Robert Williams and Kavon Looney? Yeah. Robert's just way twitchier. Kavon is actually a name I brought up with people. Kavon is the closest. Kavon okay. is definitely the closest I've come up with. Okay. Um, yeah. Rob Williams is just like way twitchier out on the perimeter and way longer as well. He has like a seven, four wingspan, seven, five wingspan Trace is going to be at like seven foot, something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit, he's definitely different than Rob. Kavon is interesting. Kavon again has like that seven foot four wingspan that really allows him to be like a high level, uh, rebounder and just like use his length to kind of impose a little bit on the court. But Trace has that vertical leap that Kavon doesn't. Kavon also is just like someone that I don't know if you remember him coming out of Milwaukee and then going to UCLA and everything, but like he was like a point forward almost like he was a, he wasn't this low usage center rebounding everything. Like he was highly skilled and like could run the break and could like grab and go off the glass and could like do a lot of different stuff. It, it'd be a different pathway compared to Kavan than what trace will take, I guess, but that's not to say it can't happen. I think that that is the archetype that trace should be shooting for. You know, trace has talked a lot about how the transition to Mike Woodson has really helped him grow defensively, you know, because Archie really didn't want him out blocking shots. And Woody has basically said, go block every shot you can. How has the way that Woody has used trace, especially defensively, help or not, you know, helped him or not. How how has it affected basically his NBA draft stock and the way people look at him? Because it seems to me like those are more the types of things he would be asked to do in an NBA defense. Well, look like Archie ran like the pack line, right? And it was just like a totally different scheme in terms of, you know, everyone stays home. We make sure that we like get in the gaps so that no driving lanes occur. There's just generally less pressure on the rim in those settings. With Trace, I think that getting Mike Woodson around the reads are defensively. We often think about reads like uh, in the offensive sense in terms of like, okay, ball handler gets here, jump stops at the free throw line. What is the read, right? 
there are also reads and reactions and rotations that you have to make defensively. And I think that what Indiana does now is generally just much closer to an NBA scheme. They they do like do some different things here and there with Trace, depending on the day. Like a lot of it is drop coverage, but uh, you know they will occasionally play a little bit flatter uh, at ball screen levels. Like they will try and do different things with him uh, as a weak side rotational rim presence. So. All of that has been much more helpful. The ability to see him in versatile defensive schemes, I think, has been helpful. Um, but again, these guys that play like primarily drop coverage in the NBA, they tend to be your like monsters that are like seven foot, seven foot one, can yeah. really like you know completely swallow up the entire lane for some of the fastest and you know biggest guys that you'll find. Because when those driving lanes in the NBA open up and get wider because the geometry of the court is just very different in the NBA. It's, you know, guys are spacing from 26 feet as opposed to 27 feet as opposed to 22 feet. Those extra five feet, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually like an ocean essentially in terms of the driving lanes. So I I do think that going more toward this defensive structure has certainly helped trace just in terms of even what the transition to the NBA is going to look like is a big uh, I'm trying to think of bigs that like have really worked coming out of a pack line. So like, you know, I, I guess they're like Deandre Ayton's an example of this, but Deandre Ayton played in the pack line and everyone questioned like, Oh my God, is this guy a good defender? Is he not a good defender? Because his block rates were really low. His steal rates were really low. And what people didn't recognize is that the pack line just artificially deflates that a lot. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that, being able to recognize different schemes that teams are running and how it impacts the numbers that a guy puts up, how it impacts uh, just the rotations and reads that a guy has to make. I think it's so, so big. And I do think trace is going to be in position to where will be, it'll be an easier transition for him. I think to the next level, a couple of final questions for you. So Jalen, it seems like he'll get picked in the first round and we'll see how high he goes. You know, trace, it seems like maybe is, middle of the second round with the possibility, you know, to jump up a little bit. What is your expectation for the role those guys will have as rookies? Like, what do you expect from them next year in the NBA? Very little, honestly, just very little. Um, Like, like a guy like trace, do you think he'll spend most of his time in the NBA or you think he'll spend a lot of time in the G league? uh, It'll be 50, 50. It'll depend. Honestly, it depends on where he goes. Depends on, you know, how many bigs the team has that ends up with him. Right. I think Jalen will probably play a little bit more in the NBA next year. Not to say that he'll be more ready necessarily, but again, it just depends on do these guys go to contenders? Do these guys go to, uh, you know, teams that are more rebuilding, for instance, like uh, San Antonio right now is playing Malachi Branham and Blake Wesley, even though, you know, Blake Wesley doesn't look ready to play in the NBA right now, but he has the minutes open because, you know, their roster situation says that the minute they're open and they need somebody to fill them. Right. So they both could go either way in terms of real role. And I don't know that I could really even, it it just depends on who's going to take them. No, it's a good point. It is. It's totally dependent on who takes them and what, what that role would be. All right. Well, I know that you want to go celebrate Ohio state's big victory, two wins (laughs) in a row for the Buckeyes. My that's last two. question. Guys, that's, that's, two. that's two. That's two. Getting hot for the big we got two. <laughs> the next one's a winning streak. <laughs> uh, my last question for you. Is there anybody else on Indiana's current roster that is interesting to you? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, man, I mean, Malik Renault is the easy answer, right? Uh, I mean, just as a big physical potential, like, you know, mid post four, I, I would expect that he'll be the best player on Indiana's roster next year. It's just that, you know, the fit with Trace is a little bit more difficult. They really like to operate in the same areas of the court, right? Uh, I, I would expect the next season, Malik Renault, just given how physically capable he is, I would think he will probably be the guy at Indiana next year. Um, I've always had a soft spot for Tamar Bates. I I always, I really liked him coming out of IMG. And I think that, you know, the transition was just a little bit harder than what I expected, but we're starting to see signs. He's obviously, obviously starting to shoot a little bit better. I don't know that I would project like an NBA type role or NBA type ceiling for him at this point, but I, I don't know that I would, throw it away. And, you know, Caleb Banks is just, you know, a guy that, you know, is six foot seven and, uh, you know, 215 pounds. And you can say that he kind of looks like an NBA player in a lot of ways. So they have guys to keep track of for sure. uh, I would say, and we'll, we'll, we'll see where it ends up. But again, I, I would think that this is a team also that will probably end up hitting the transfer portal uh, you would think this offseason is going to have to. Yeah. 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 We may only have four or five guys returning next year. It's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be some turnover. So yeah. And not, not too many uh, freshmen, if I remember either. I know they have the cops kid coming in, but I don't know. Yeah. We have, have two else. signed right now. So we'll see. Woody, Woody has a habit of pulling guys out late after coaching changes. So we'll see <laughs> if he can do that again. Well, Sam, man, I really yeah. appreciate your time. Really appreciate your insight. Obviously, you know, especially after what Jalen did against Purdue, his NBA draft stock was a big topic of conversation. So wanted to bring you in because your opinion, I trust, you know, as much as anybody's. So really appreciate your insight on those guys. I appreciate it, man. All right. Read him at The Athletic. Subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast, The Great Sam Bassini. Thanks, Sam. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.